Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. Welcome, everyone, to episode 52 of Calm Words for Anxious Hearts, a podcast we started last March to keep people sane and calm and theologically grounded during the pandemic. And at the moment, we're doing a series on the prophets, and today we get to look at the prophet Isaiah, or Isaiah, if you happen to be from the UK. And so to talk about this prophet, we also need to talk about the call of God In other words, what does it mean to be called by God, or how is it that we make sense of our life being set aside to do the Lord's work? You see, there's a question I'm often asked, and that's, how did you decide to become a priest? That's a really hard question to answer because I honestly don't believe that I did. Honestly, I don't. I really believe that God chose me for this work, but I don't think I decided to become a priest the way that I typically decide other things in my life. Now, I'm not saying that I'm a puppet. I'm not saying that God is just pulling the strings here, but I really don't think I'm here right now as a priest because of some decision that I made. I think I'm here right now because of a decision that God made. I think I'm chosen for this work. And you know what's really weird? I don't think I'm special. I believe that God is invested in your life too, just like God is invested in my life. I honestly believe that right now I'm speaking to a group of people who are chosen for God's work. I believe that you are called by God. And so to explore this idea of being called by God together, there's no one better to turn to than the prophet Isaiah. And I'd like to begin with a reading from the very beginning of Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him, each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew." And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Now, in order to talk about being chosen or being called, I'm going to give us four words that begin with the letter C to frame our conversation and guide our minds. 
Those words are context, confrontation, conversion, and call. Context, confrontation, conversion, and call. Let's start with the word context. Hearing the call of God never really happens in a vacuum. We all have a context, a history, a background. The call of Isaiah does not begin with a vision. It begins with a context. And what is that context? In the year that King Uzziah died. That's how the reading begins, Uzziah's death. That is the context for Isaiah's prophetic call. Now, if you have not heard of King Uzziah, he was a remarkable king, and he did a lot to bless the people of Israel. He was a military genius, building an army of over 300,000 soldiers. He also fortified Jerusalem, which meant that under Uzziah's rule, the people of Israel were finally safe. Uzziah was an economic guru. He was a spiritual leader. He was a pillar of the people. With the exception of King David and King Solomon, Uzziah was remembered as the most stable, wise, faithful, and powerful king that Israel ever had. But more than that, his reign lasted 52 years. Imagine, and I know this is going to be hard, but imagine having a president for 52 years with a 100% approval rating. That was Uzziah. And in the land of Israel, Uzziah is all that the people knew, and the people depended on their king. Most people alive had never had any other king than King Uzziah, and Uzziah was their refuge. But then one day, their refuge dies. Question, what do you do when Uzziah dies? For their whole life, Uzziah had been on the throne. He was their anchor, their strength, their refuge, their king. But now, he's dead. Here's what I'd like to suggest, and now we move into the realm of metaphor. The death of our anchor, the death of our king, is the context for hearing the call of God. Our Uzziah dies. We come to see that our anchor can't hold us, that we need a new one. We come to see that the source of our strength is either gone or inadequate. We come to see that our metaphorical king, whatever that is or whoever that is, is mortal and subject to death, and that we desperately need a king that is immortal, a king that can never die. Now, the death of Uzziah is different for each each one of us. It could be a process, something that happens slowly, or it could be an earth-shattering event, the death of a loved one, the loss of a job, the end of a relationship that we were fully invested in, or our lives can just unravel. And that unraveling can be quite dramatic, a panic attack or a meltdown, or that unraveling could just be a deep dissatisfaction with the status quo, a realization that the source of our strength, whatever that is, is fleeting and won't last. But death, death is the context for hearing the call of God. Uzziah dies. Something in our life shifts. Our stability becomes unstable. We come to see that what we were relying on, or who we were relying on, cannot save us and protect us and give us meaning. 
and that we need a new anchor. That is the context. Our second C is confrontation. Isaiah is confronted with the presence of God. And notice the irony. King Uzziah is dead, which means that the throne is now empty. But when Isaiah looks up, where does he see God? We're told he sees God sitting on a throne. Isaiah turns his eyes from the throne of man, and he beholds the throne of God, knowing Uzziah to be dead. Isaiah comes to know that God is alive. Isaiah is confronted with a vision of the living God. And the reason I use the word confronted, other than the convenient fact that it starts with a C, is because Isaiah comes to see that the living God is holy. According to Isaiah, even the angels cover their faces. The angels can't even look as they cry, holy, 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 over and over and over again. And as a side note, repetition is the Bible's only way to emphasize something. There aren't any capital letters or exclamation points in the Hebrew language, and so the only tool for emphasis is repetition. Now, a lot of words in the Bible are repeated twice, but only once does an attribute of God get repeated three times. And what is that attribute? It's not loving, 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 or compassionate, compassionate, compassionate. Of course, God is most definitely loving and most certainly compassionate, but only holiness, only holiness gets repeated three times. This is very significant. Holiness gets to the core of who God is. Now, most people hear the word holiness and they think about moral purity, but holiness is much more complicated and nuanced than that. The Hebrew word kadosh means set apart and refers to someone or something that is totally different. And so to say that God is holy is to say that God is totally different. And it's to say that God is different in a way that is wonderful and mysterious and terrifying and exciting. And that total difference, that holiness, leads Isaiah to our third C, conversion. And I said, woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. After seeing the truth about God, Isaiah now sees the truth about himself, and he speaks the truth about himself. And what is that truth? I am lost. Seeing the truth about ourselves is rare. We tend to downplay our sin and our weaknesses. We minimize the reality of our sin, the cost of our wrong choices, and the damage we've done to ourselves and to each other. It's like we're born wearing special sunglasses that darken our perspective and keep us from seeing the truth. But then one day we're confronted. We're confronted with the great and terrifying holiness of God And that confrontation makes us right for conversion. After seeing God for who God truly is, holy, we see ourselves for who we truly are. And that 
is people of unclean lips. And so notice Isaiah says something incredibly profound. I am lost. Another translation of the Hebrew word is ruined. Woe is me, he says. Woe is me. And if you've ever read the prophets, woe is a word of judgment that the prophets typically speak about other people, but the prophet Isaiah speaks woe upon himself. Because in light of God's holiness, Isaiah is undone, and he comes to see that unless God's grace intervenes, unless grace steps in, he will be utterly ruined. Fortunately, God's grace does intervene, though perhaps not in the way we usually imagine. And so here's how it happens. An angel takes a live coal and holds it to Isaiah's lips. This is Isaiah's strange image of grace. In fact, the coal is so very hot that the angel of God has to use a pair of tongs. The angel can't even use his hands. But Isaiah has to allow the coal to burn one of the most sensitive parts of his body. And this tells us something very important about grace, about this willingness to let the coal burn our body. There is real pain. There's a real sting that comes with conversion. We often assume that grace means the absence of pain, but according to Isaiah, that is just not the case. Deep, deep grace, at least initially, can make us feel a deep, deep pain. It's like a burning coal that presses upon our lips. You see, the goal of God's grace is not to comfort us. The goal of grace is to change us, which is all I really mean when I use the word conversion. The goal of grace is not to spare us from pain. It's to redeem our character. And I hate to say this, but pain can do wonders for our character. It can do wonders for our life. After all, it's painful whenever our Uzziah dies. But it is still grace. It's painful whenever we're confronted with the reality of our sin in light of God's holiness, but it is still grace. You know, one of my favorite writers of all time, Brennan Manning, he's dead now, but um, he was an alcoholic, and before he died, he wrote a lot as he reflected on his life about how God's grace allowed him to hit rock bottom, how it was grace that allowed him to hit rock bottom. Think about that. He writes about how in order to change, he had to actually see the wasted years, the ruined relationships, the devastating lies, and the utter selfishness. It was God's painful grace, he says, that allowed him to see the truth. A lot of Christian mystics tell us that we are to pray for the gift of tears. And if you've ever read their writings, you come to see that they all prayed on a regular basis for a broken heart, what they would call the gift of tears. That was their prayer for God's light to penetrate their souls, to reveal the presence of their sin, so much so that it brought them to tears. When's the last time you prayed for that? I'll be very honest with you. It's been a while for me. But God's painful grace is something we should all be seeking. It's a good thing to feel lost. 
because that then opens us up to the power of being found, which moves us to C number four, and that's call. Our life is discovered in the call of God. God doesn't heal Isaiah for his sake alone. God heals Isaiah so he can live out his prophetic call. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? That is God's question. And for the very first time, Isaiah is now ready to respond. Here am I. Send me. If we asked Isaiah, so Isaiah, how did you decide to become a prophet? What do you think you'd say? (laughs) Who knows, but I imagine it would be along the lines of, I did not choose God, God chose me. But again, you know what's weird? I I don't think Isaiah is special. I don't think I'm special. I really believe that God is just as invested in the lives of you who listen to me right now as he was in the prophet Isaiah. And I honestly believe that I'm speaking to someone who is set aside for God's work. I believe that you are called. I guess the only question is, to what are you called? Well, I think that you and I are ultimately chosen for the same thing. And since not all of you are called to be priests, that means my primary call is also not to be a priest. My primary call, your primary call, is something else. Our primary call is to be holy, like God is holy. Our call is to be transformed so much in the depth of our souls that we become totally different in a way that is wonderful and mysterious and terrifying and exciting. In a world of hate, we are chosen to be set on fire with love. In a world that's selfish, we are chosen to be surprisingly selfless. In a world full of very dull sameness, we are chosen to be different, just like God is different. You know, Jesus put it like this in his Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Think about those words against our reading from Isaiah, where even the angels had to cover their eyes in the presence of God. But then along comes Jesus, who knew the book of Isaiah, backwards and forwards, and says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You know, I think that is our common call, to have a pure heart, just like God, so that one day we can see God, so that we don't have to cover our faces. In fact, you may recall what the Greek word ekklesia means, which is where we get the word church. Ekklesia means to be called out. If we think that we're not called to anything, then I fear that we have misunderstood Christianity. We are all called out. Not one of us is special, and yet every single one of us is special. I'm sure you've been told that you're made in the image of God, which is true, but maybe today I can tell you a bit more about what that means. In biblical times, kings would strategically place their image all over the land. So, for example, kings would put up statues of themselves and stamp their image on coins. Coins were made in the image of the king. Statues were made in the image of the king. This was the king's way of reminding the people who was in control. Well, in the same way, each one of us is called to be an image for our king. 
to a world that mourns the death of Uzziah, we are chosen to represent the king that cannot die, to remind people that there is one seated on the throne of heaven and that he does reign over us all. The king of heaven has strategically placed you all over his land. Our call is to be so loving and so selfless and so different that people are reminded who the true king is whenever they see his image. We may or may not hear it, but God is asking each one of us, whom shall I send and who will go for us? In other words, who will represent us? What a blessed thing it is to feel God's painful grace to stop mourning the death of Uzziah, to see a vision of the king eternal that cannot die, and then to respond with the words of the prophet Isaiah. Here I am. Send me.